0: This morning is Sunday, the 13th, June 13th. Our topic is Aliyah and A L I Y A H. Aliyah. And uh, Aliyah. I knew I was going to get that wrong. Not the singer Aliyah. Aliyah. The emphasis is on the Yah part, which incidentally is a form of God's name. Yah. Uh, Aliyah. And aliyah literally means the going up. It speaks of an ascension. Now, that's what it means, but the way that it's used in conversation is somebody goes and makes aliyah. They uh, make the journey home. Because Israel, and specifically Jerusalem, but because Israel was considered to be a spiritual high place in the world. Uh, the only land in which God himself said belongs to him No matter where you are in the world if you're going to Israel and the Hebrew thought you're going up to Israel because it's where God's throne is That's important to know because it's how they speak of it as making an ascension They ascend to Israel don't go down to Israel you don't go across to Israel. It's not a lateral movement from the United States. It's not a step down from the United States. You have to leave the United States and go up to Israel. It's important to see the way that they think of it because that's pretty scriptural. You know the word Jerusalem, for instance? And Jerusalem's got a hundred variations in Scripture. Uh, Ariel, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Zion. Zion is a is a word that means the mountain of the Lord's brightness, but it's a... Uh, because Zion is in Jerusalem, it means Jerusalem. But the word Jerusalem is used 881 times in the Bible. I mean, think about that. Do you think God emphasized that? The United States didn't appear in the Bible one time. New York City, not in the Bible. Not one time. You know, The best we can do to get anything close to the United States are some vague references to distant islands. Does the United States look like an island to you? Not really to me either. You know, but that's... That's Western theologians for us, huh? Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about the going up, the making the ascension. I have just noticed during worship we have this uh, painting, poster, whatever we call that. It's, I guess, framed like a painting and made like a poster. This says, For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Some translations say for all nations. It's all the peoples of the earth. What better way could you think of to spread God's glory and God's greatness than for Him to take one representative people group, one group of people that are going to be declared His priest, His royal nation, and then spread them all over the earth. See, we speak of the church as salt that can't be kept in a shaker. You follow me? We say, oh, well, you're salt of the earth. You're supposed to be out there among men. Well, the church is a... uh, It came after Israel. Israel was the prototype. In fact, Israel really is the church if you want to get right down to it. But the natural nation of Israel was called priest. They were taught the righteous decrees of God. And then because of their sin, no doubt it was sin, but also because of God's divine will, they were scattered all over the globe. This brought an awareness of God all around the globe. It brought God's special revelation All around the globe As Gentile Christians we really focus on the fact that it's incomplete because it doesn't include Yeshua It doesn't include the Messiah and I know that and that's true but it still paved the way and God spread his people all around the planet and were it not for that the word and they Won't even say it, but the word Yahweh the idea of this God that is above every other God would only exist in vague references in their ancient culture The book Eternity in Their Hearts speaks of this. But this is a way that God could get His people scattered around the globe. Now, we look at it in our time frame and we say it's because they failed. We say, hey, they failed to bring salvation to the ends of the earth, and Isaiah says that. And so they're scattered out. And we speak of it like a punishment, and in some regards it is a punishment. The Babylonian captivity was a punishment. The Assyrian captivity was a punishment. Malachi spoke and said if they didn't receive the Messiah, He would strike their land with a curse. So all of those things did happen. But let's not also forget the promises we're going to look at today. God said many, many years in advance of any of that happening, that it would happen and that because they were His redeemed people, because they were His chosen people, not for their sake, for His sake, He would bring them back and it would be a thing that the world marveled at And their lives would be witnesses of how awesome God is. Now, Paul said God had the right to use some vessels for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. It's tough to determine whether Israel is noble or ignoble at times. But the purpose is very noble. When we look at these uh, Aliyah scriptures this morning, I want you to concentrate on this fact. And we've been driving it home, but we're going to keep doing it. I alluded to all of this when we taught Ezekiel 36. Now we're actually going to get into it. The promises that were made to Israel still stand. We know that. You know that because you're taught that. But we are actually seeing them come about today. That's important because it shows us where we are on a prophetic calendar. It shows us how we should relate to the nation of Israel, where our focus should be. Do you think it's any mistake that people are starting to... Gentile Christians are starting to become aware of Israel again. That we're starting to name our children Jewish names. That we're starting to study Jewish feasts and customs and cultures. And lest you think this is just a phenomenon in a storefront church in Baton Rouge or in this garage church in Texas, it's going on all around the world. I met Christians from Australia, and, and there's a Zionist. Do y'all know what Zionist is? Zionists are people who support Jewish right to the land and Jewish right to make Aliyah, to return home. Uh, there's a Zionist movement in Australia. There are churches raising up everywhere that are Israel conscious. This in South Africa. You know, I met one of the most remarkable Christians I've met in a long time from South Africa. Hey, guy had no personality. Dry, curt, everything, and totally in love with the Lord. A warhorse for God. I mean, you, you could tell. You know. Didn't laugh and didn't joke like we do. Everything was very serious. Actually, he did have kind of a dry sense of humor. It just took me a week or two to figure that out. and I only had a three-week trip. But turn, turn with me to Isaiah 11. This hopefully will kind of set the stage. It says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit It's interesting that Paul chose that terminology in Romans 11 to speak of Israel that they were the root and we are the branches The spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding the spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and he will delight in the fear of the Lord you know songs even the righteous brother sang a song about this the wolf will live with the lamb the leopard will lie down with the goat the calf and the lion and the yearling together and the little child will lead them the cow will feed the bear their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox the infant will play near the hole of the cobra and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the lord as the waters cover the sea now y'all have been taught what is that what is that that we're speaking of the time when the wolf and the lion lay down together or the wolf and the lamb lie down together When is that it's the millennial reign right so if we're speaking all of those scriptures are speaking about at least the very beginning of a millennial reign Let's put this one into perspective. It follows it, verse 10. In that day, what day? The day that all this begins. The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. In his place, a rest of glory. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of the people. From Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. So the same scriptures that we hold up and we say, wow, look, this speaks of a millennial reign of Christ. When peace will rule over the earth, when the nations will be at peace under the Christ. You know what that very same Scripture speaks of? Happening in that day? All of the peoples returning. From the four corners of the earth, Him gathering together the tribes of Judah, He even lists the nations that they would come out of. So what would that mean to you if in our day, for the second time, He was gathering all of the people of the earth to Israel? What does that mean? It must mean that the other things... Are approaching as well right now not that the first has already occurred they were gathered in from Babylon this was written before that they were gathered in from Assyria the first diaspora occurred and under Nehemiah they returned this is the second this is the second time it's happening so if the very same scriptures that promise we're going to have a Messiah that makes peace reign over all of the earth also say that in that day Israel will return from all over the planet. Doesn't that give you a good clue to the times that we're living in? See, people that are teaching rapture and teaching all the things that they are, they look for all kinds of triggers. They say, oh, wow, well, we see earthquakes. We see earthquakes in the land. Earthquakes have increased. You can chart earthquakes over the last thousand years. There have been more earthquakes in this century than in the previous 900 years. That means that the trumpet's at his mouth. And all of these things that are sensational that come out of newspaper type prophecy. And I'm not saying any of them are wrong. I'm just saying you read a book by so many authors. And I want to name a bunch and I'm just not going to. And they interpret things based on natural events that are going on. They look at Matthew 24 and they look around for those things what about the other two-thirds of scripture you know what the single biggest message to the church is that we're in the last days the single biggest message anywhere bar none is that from 1890 until now six million jews have returned from the four quarters of the earth and somehow that's missed well why on earth is that important we're going to not digress but isaiah 35 is where we're going next And it speaks of a highway that we've always applied to the church. Look at Isaiah 35. Then we'll get back to why it's important. Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness in streams in the desert. Y'all hear that? Water in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Earlier, he talked about blooming and the splendor of. The... It's happening. I drove through the Sinai. I saw. The Jews have invented something called drip irrigation. And because of it, they are growing flowers that are sold all over Europe in the middle of the desert. It's happening. You know when that didn't occur? When it didn't exist? Before 1948. But it occurs now. It's there. The burning sand will become a pool in the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. Get this. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. I'm curious. The early church, they were called Christians, right? Were they called Christians? They were not called Christians, were they? At Antioch, people spoke about them and called them Christians. What did Paul say? He said, I admit That I was raised according to the strictest sects of Judaism. I have many brothers that can testify about this if they're willing. And that I follow that way. The way. So if we're talking about the way, what are we talking about? We're talking about Jews who have received a Messiah. Not Christians. not, Not Gentile Christianity. We've been grafted into their root. Not them into us. There's a highway, and it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. Now, I like that translation, but do you know what another translation is? The simple won't stray from it. Can you see how both could be true? Wicked fools won't go about on it, and Jesus is so kind that the simple who are on it, they won't stray from it. You don't have to be very smart To be in the kingdom. You just have to love an awful lot. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. What are we talking about? What is this highway for? That the redeemed and the ransomed may return. Well, we think of ourselves as the redeemed. Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sings a beautiful song. And it's the song of the redeemed. And it's based upon a song in Revelation. Do you know who the original redeemed were, though? Israel. Those scriptures apply to Israel coming out of Egypt in the time of the Exodus. He said, I redeemed you with my outstretched arm. I ransomed you. Did that change? So whose return is this to Israel? It's their return. As Jews from all over the world, the redeemed of the Lord, the ransomed of the Lord, as a people, they were. As individuals, they still must be. All right? I'm not teaching dual covenants here. They don't have a different covenant than us, they're not saved in a different way than us. They must be saved in the same way. And the first Jews were. There will be a latter remnant that will also, in fact, the whole nation will be saved. But as they return, God is making a highway for his people all to go to Israel for one purpose that they may become followers of that way. Isn't that interesting? They will enter Zion. Where is Zion? What is Zion? It's the mountain of the Lord's brightness. It's in Jerusalem. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. God was comforting His people. He knew Isaiah wrote 740 years before Jesus, before the Babylonian captivity, before the Assyrians came, before the Babylonians. He's writing. God is going to have to make a highway for you that have been redeemed. And Why do you have a highway? Why not a service road? Because there are so many coming. He's going to make highways from the nations back to Israel. Though you are put off for a season, though you're cast out for a time, though you've become the disgrace of the earth, I will exalt you in that day. That's what He's teaching. Now, think about it. We've taken all of that and applied it to us. Does it? Sure, it all applies to us. But who is the most natural fulfillment applied to? Them. Them. In what way does it apply to us? Because we have become the end of the procession. Like Paul said, apostles at the end of the parade. You know, people scorn us. They ridicule us because of the way that we live. And there's a day when God will take us and exalt us before all of the peoples. But do you know who He does first? Who's salvation first for, does Romans say? The Jew, then the Gentile. The reason I'm pointing out all of these things, the reason we're going to read all of this, the reason it's important to the Gentile church, not just because it tells us where we are on the prophetic calendar. That's how you sell books. You know, That's how you get people who don't know anything to be interested. Do you know why it's important to study Israel? Because as you look at what God's doing with that nation, you know what God will do with you. He, the the man Israel, the embodiment of the patriarchs in the nation Israel is God's first priority. Because that's that's who received the promises. It's who received the covenants. We've been grafted into that. Think about this. If you're out at the end of the branch bearing fruit and you want to know about your future life in the tree, you better study the roots, right? Because if they go bad, it eventually works its way all the way up to you. But if they're good, it eventually works its way all the way up to you. If you want to know about your future, you want to know how you'll be treated. If you want to know how you should relate to the nations around you, if you want to know how they will relate to you as an American today, in this new millennium, all you have to do is look at the nation of Israel. Are you held to a double standard in your workplace? Yes. Yes, people... If Mandy reads her Bible at work, people say she's lazy. If a guy's reading the swimsuit issue of the Sports Illustrated magazine, he's not lazy, he's got free time. If Matthew is out talking about Jesus to somebody who he's supposed to be selling something to as part of the conversation, Matthew's committing time theft. But if somebody else is talking about being in a topless bar to the same guy, it's not time theft. It's just making good conversation. You understand? Well, who else is like that? Watch CNN. Watch the news stations. If the United States blows up 40 people by mistake in Iraq, ah, it's a mistake. If Israel kills eight people after warning them for a week not to assemble around a building, firing shots over their head, trying to get them to disperse, all of the world meets and condemns it in a single day. Do you see the parallels? As it goes with Israel, so it goes with the church. The two are inseparable. Paul calls the church the Israel of God. That is not because the church has replaced Israel. It's because the two are inherently linked and in the end will be one. One. The natural nation of Israel will be saved and we will be a part of it. Well, you know, that that doesn't seem because it's in the word. It doesn't seem this enormous revelation. But in practice, it is an enormous revelation because nobody acts like this is the case. I'd defy you to go find ten books. five, Three books. Go find three books written by popular authors of the last ten years. Popular. There's got to be somebody that has made a top ten seller list that discussed this on any level. You'll never do it. In fact, if you go back 50 years ago, All of the popular Christian books said that Israel was replaced by the church. Let men be liars and God be true. Turn with me to Isaiah 43. If this does not begin to touch your heart, this is the Scripture that got me. Actually, Ezekiel 36 did, but this is one of the Scriptures that got me. Isaiah... 43, verse 1. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Who are we talking to? We're talking to Jacob. We're talking to Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. So when we read Isaiah 35 and we apply that to the church, does it apply to the church? Sure, we've been redeemed. We've been grafted into their redemption. But Israel's the one that's called redeemed in Isaiah, not us. Is that not somewhat of a surprise? Come on, when Phil Driscoll sings that song, do you not think of you and forget about Israel? Sure we do. Sure we do. In fact, in our daily life, every time we read the Word, we think of us and we forget about Israel. The problem is, this book was written to Israel. And we've been grafted into it. This is a messianic hope who was the messiah Isaiah is called the messianic prophet who was he sent to we need to wake up because what god is doing in our day is beginning to turn his focus to the nation of israel i can feel it you know why did i go spend 60 hours in a classroom when i could have just went and toured all of the biblical sites in israel because i wanted to know about the israeli people I wanted to know how they viewed the promises. I wanted to see what God was doing in them. And what I found is He's stirring their hearts of faith. Can you imagine? Now, we understand that they missed the Messiah, okay? I understand that. But can you imagine waiting for 2,000 years for a Messiah diligently? See, they're not bad people. They're not wicked people. They're waiting for a biblical hope. Now, we know that that hope has been fulfilled, but we're also waiting for a second return, right? We've been waiting for 2,000 years for that return. Our Scriptures say that that day is near, that it was soon, sooner now than when we first believed. The Bible even speaks of it with the kind of language that would give you the impression it would happen in the first generation. I mean, when you read Paul's writings, you begin to think Paul thought before Paul died, the Messiah would return. And it's been hard for those 2,000 years. In fact, most of it was in the dark ages, dominated by this Romanism. And you could see how somebody lost could look and say, yeah, you guys are waiting and He's never returning. And those parables of the ten virgins and all those things we apply to us, but do you know what else? The Jews had been waiting for their Messiah that whole time. It was just a little remnant that was born again at the time of Christ. And the whole nation has to be saved. I encourage you go read Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, Zechariah 12 again. We've always read that scripture about look upon the one they pierced and mourn, as, you know, the brother shows back up and they see how guilty they are for everything that they did, like bad Jews. What if they're looking upon the one they mourned in a revival type setting? What if the entire nation experiences salvation in a single day? You know, the whole nation's sin was atoned for for 1,600 years in a single day. From the time of Moses all the way to the time of Christ. Day of atonement. The whole nation's sin was atoned for in a single day. wonder what He was trying to teach him. And yet we think that's impossible because we've received salvation on an individual level trickling here and there around. But the nation of Israel received atonement for their sin in a single day. Go back, read Zechariah 12. You come back and tell me what you think it says. Okay? Because I read it for years and I didn't see it like I think I do now. And I say, I think I do. Because I'm still working this stuff out. But you're going to experience the journey with me. Yell in Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by the name. You are mine. When you pass through the... Hey, when he says you're mine, that's not conditional. They belong to him. If my boy, Judah, is good or bad, he's still my son. If he makes me proud, then I'm happy to call him mine. If he's not making me proud, he's still mine. My responsibility. Israel is God's responsibility. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. What do you think that's a reference to? Let me read the next one and I'll help you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When did Israel pass through the water? Leaving Egypt. When did they pass through the rivers? Entering Canaan. The waters won't sweep over you. Reference to it's at flood stage. First is the Red Sea. Second is the rivers. Uh, Jordan. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What God is telling them through Isaiah is every time you've needed deliverance before, I've been right there for you. Whether it was the sea, whether it was fresh water, or whether it was fire, I was right there to deliver you. And the point that he's getting to is when you're scattered out in all the nations of the earth, for my sake, because you're mine, not because you're good people, but for my sake, I will deliver you and you'll be witnesses for me. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Siva in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give men in exchange for you and people in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I'll be honest. I'm not real sure what that means. I think it's possible that's the first two world wars. You know, It's possible that that is all of the G.I.s in World War II that gave their lives to liberate uh, the Jewish people from Hitler. I don't know, though. I'm not teaching. I don't know. I'm not. It's kind of confusing to me. It speaks of Egypt and Cush. I don't know whether a bunch of them are going to die so that Israel will be. I don't know. I do know that every nation on the planet surrounds Israel and God makes it an immovable rock that men hurt themselves trying to move. And I can't think of anybody that wants to move Israel more than those Muslim nations right around it. And I can't think of anybody I'd rather see hurting themselves trying who handed Jacob over to Jacob over to become loot in Israel? To the that's the wrong sentence. Huh? Verse five. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up, and to the south, Do not hold them back. For my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. "...whom I formed and made, lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf, all the nations gather together and all the peoples assemble. Which of them foretold and proclaimed to us the former things? Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may see and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know... And believe me and understand that I am he before me no God was formed nor will there be one after me I even I the Lord and apart from me there is no Savior I have revealed and saved and proclaimed I and not some foreign God among you you are my witnesses declares the Lord that I am God yes and from ancient days I am he No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. What did he say? He said, I'm going to bring you all back from the east, the west, the north, the south. He said, find another people, another ancient group of people on the earth. Let them bring in their witnesses. Who's ever told something like this ahead of time and then performed it? That's what he's teaching. That's what he's saying. Go find them. Where are they? He said, but I... I, your God, did this and so not some foreign God. I did it so that you would be my witness. Witness to whom? The nations. When we look and we see that God brought all of His people back from the hundred or more countries that they were scattered into, it's a witness that God is faithful to His promise. That the God of the Bible is still at work in the affairs of men today. It's a witness to the Jewish people that their God is still with them. That the One who redeemed them, who ransomed them, is still there for them. Oh, that's important. But when He says the East and the West, look at verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the East, and I will gather them from the West. The Aliyah, 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 no, I can't get it right. Aliyah that has been taking place from 1890 forward. Aliyah. Aliyah. The Aliyah that has been taking for place since 1890 forward. From the West, they've always been able to come willingly. The United States does not prevent Jews from returning the west. Most European nations do not, which are west of Israel, I wish I had a map in here, do not prevent the Jews from returning. Not many have returned from the east, but those eastern countries will throw them out. They don't want them. But listen to what he says next. In other words, they will come from the east and west. I will say to the north, give them up. You know where the biggest Jewish uh, rush has come from? From 89 until 2003 Russia what happened to Russia in the early 90s the Soviet Union collapsed now we've got all these stands over there and all these other nations God broke down that nation that was restraining his people from returning you could not immigrate out of the USSR now you can it's difficult but you can do it and you know how many have come one-sixth of Israel's population came from Russia 1.2 million Jews. Because God spoke to the north and said, give them up. And it did. Well, maybe that's coincidence. Let's see what happens with the south. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Two directions didn't require any intervention from God. He just said they would come. Two directions required specific intervention from God. From the north, He said, give them up, and from the south, do not hold them back. You know, in in the last ten years, in the south, the country called Ethiopia, we had the largest airlift in history. The largest movement of people in a single day in history. Incidentally, since we don't have a world map in here, what direction is Ethiopia from Israel? South. Do south. Some 50,000. Ethiopian Jews returned. They had like 1,500 planes. It may have been 1,400. Forgive me if I don't have the numbers uh, just right. Some 1,400, 1,500 planes going 24 hours a day to bring them all back. They put them on buses to bring them back. They were refugee type status because of the persecution and the government of Israel intervened and said, we want them. We will send buses. We will Send planes, we'll do whatever it takes to get them out But God had to move in the government to get it to occur And the largest In fact, more people were fit on one plane at one time In that airlift than at any other time in history ever Point blank till then I don't remember the kind of plane I learned all that in Israel But they took big cargo planes that you usually put tanks on And stacked people in them They took every kind of plane you could think of That would make that distance And flew people home Why was that not all over the news? Why is that? Why is that not written about in our history books as one of the great movements that's ever occurred? But it's not. It is in Israel. You know why? They see it as the fulfillment of this verse. Ever, ever. Ever. Not even in wartime did we move as many people as were moved in that single day. I don't know. I don't know. It was a Russian version of our biggest cargo planes, and they came from Ethiopia. I want you to have an idea for the size of Israel, what this is like. When the 1 million Jews from 89 to 2003, 1.2 million Jews came from the Soviet Union, I want you to know approximately what that would be like here. They're a nation of 5.5 million Jews. We're a nation of, what, 300 million Americans? I, I think it's 265 million Americans. What that would be like, proportionately, is 48 million Immigrants 48 million returning to the United States in 10 years See Yeah, that that would that would be 10 times 10 times the population of Houston as immigrants And yet the nation's not collapsed by it Their economy doesn't crash by it You know, they're not so overwhelmed that there is no houses Do you see God's hand at work in that? Now here's the thing We Christians stand and we grab this Bible and we say, I believe the Bible and the whole Bible. And we'll do it and we'll face the Catholic Church and condemn the Catholic Church because they don't. Us Protestants cry, sola scriptura. by the scripture only, baby. And we stand flat-footed ready to fight over it. You know why most Christians believe the whole Bible and they do? They have no idea what it says. They only believe it all because they don't even know what's in it. Who would ever believe this prior to the days it was happening? That the nations around the world would cough up their Jewish population? That there would be highways built for the purpose of getting the Jews back to their land? That in the desert, flowers would bloom because God's Word said it? The theologians didn't believe it? Our Christian forefathers, the great runners of the Protestant Reformation didn't believe it? If they did, there would have been a Zionist movement from the days of the diaspora till now. There wasn't. The Zionist movement was basically born in the 1700s. And the father of Zionism was not even you know, somebody who was sold out for the Scripture. Okay, that was Isaiah 43. And as Isaiah 11, you see that It must occur before the millennial reign because the millennial reign lumps it all into one day. That day, that age. And in that age, they'll all return. Then the Lamb will lay down with... See, we're not just waiting for a return of the Messiah. We're waiting for a return of the Messiah's people. And that's a line worth writing down. We're not waiting for the coming of the Messiah. We're waiting for a coming of the Messiah's people followed by the Messiah. Because for Jesus to return, Romans 11 teaches us something. They were cut off. They were blinded through unbelief and that has meant salvation for you. What do you think their grafting in again is going to mean for you? Life from the dead. What happens when Jesus returns? Life from the dead. There has to be His people in His land for that to occur. The resurrection is going to begin in Israel and stretch around the world. His people need to be there. And they are. But they haven't always been. It's been in our day and in our times. In Isaiah 35, you saw that a highway was built and that the deserts would bloom. In Isaiah 43, you saw that God was specific enough that He even listed the directions that He would have to rebuke and bring down nations to cause them to come back. In Isaiah 49, we'll find out how they come back. You know, I, I I didn't. We need to look. I, I, it escaped me. I didn't even notice it. Uh, it shows you. In Isaiah 49, we find out how they come back. We can look back at Isaiah 11 right after this, man. No, no. I, I, no, I, if I were a better preacher than I am, we would already found it. Uh, Isaiah 49... Look at verse, geez, all of Isaiah 49, but we don't have time for that. I've got about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. In Isaiah 49, starting in verse 22. Incidentally, if this doesn't encourage you to read the book of Isaiah, you know, I. All right. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to thee. That's you and me. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers and queens, your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you and their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord whose hope is in me and will not be disappointed. What are we supposed to do as Gentiles? carry them back in our arms. What is our attitude supposed to be like? Like somebody who was kissing the dust around their feet. So do we approach them as the great and mighty church? No. We're supposed to approach them as people who have been grafted into their redemption. We're supposed to approach them with the attitude of how can I serve you? Isn't that what our Master did for us? And whose master was He also? See? See? How would the Jews get back in the arms of the Gentiles? Do you know that more than 250 Christian organizations are actively today involved, and most of them are are not related to each other, actively involved in helping the Jews to return home? 250 Christian organizations. You know what, though? How many hundreds of thousands of Christian organizations are there? And yet it's always always 10% that does 90% of the work, always. I haven't talked to anybody here about this, not even my wife. But I can tell you, we are going to find ministries that support the Jewish people by doing practical deeds of God's kindness, His love, helping Jewish people to return home, and we're going to support it. Now, we don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. We may not even have a thousand dollars. But on some level, this ministry will support that. Why? Because... Unlike everybody else who says they believe the Bible because they don't know what's in it I find a burning compulsion to find out what's in it And the Bible says that they're going home on the shoulders of Gentiles and I'm a Gentile So I'm going to find a way to help them get home See God is about more than just building churches and gymnasiums and feeding people donuts He's more about more than just seeing people in this block get saved There is a much bigger plan. We've been taught and have always said we need to not lose the bigger plan. We need to not lose scope of the forest for all of the trees. You know what the scope of the forest is in our day? Seeing Israel become preeminent among the nations. Standing with Israel as she's in trouble so that they will see our servant-like attitude and become jealous of our godliness. Have you ever wondered how the church was going to provoke Israel to envy? Through servants. Hood. How did most people get saved that we know? Was it through a tract? Not at all. Was it because somebody yelled at them, "You're going to hell"? Which is all we've ever yelled at the Jews. No. How did they get saved? They got saved because they saw two guys deliver a couch to somebody who needed one. Because they saw somebody bring groceries to somebody who needed it, and they became envious in their hearts, not because we were better off, not because we were more blessed, as the prosperity gospel says. Because they knew we had something they didn't. We had a love and a desire that came from God that they did not have. That's how they get saved. Not because we're richer than them. Not because we're smarter than them. Not for all of the carnal reasons that carnal preachers stand up on TV and say. They get saved because they see our servant-like attitude. If you're going to serve somebody, you have to learn something about them, though. If you are an African American and not just any African American but one that has been raised in a home that is sensitive to African history and culture and maybe one that is uh, very politically active uh, in areas of interest to African Americans and you want to go serve that person because they're not a Christian and all you do is walk in and talk about things that are cracker white? You're unlikely to reach them, aren't you? You might even offend them if you can't name five black people in history that were prominent. You you understand what I'm saying? And that's the attitude that we've approached the Jewish people with. People in the name of Christianity have killed them, burned them, done all the things to them that the Catholic Church has done to us. All those same things. In fact, the Catholic Church practiced on the Jews before there were ever Protestants to do it with. And the Catholic Church did in practice daily something that Hitler just made more efficient. I mean, that's a matter of history. I'm not, I am anti-Catholic, but that is a matter of history. All you have to do is go and look. They were kicked out of every Catholic country in Europe. You know? The, the church taught things that inspired the people to hurt Jewish people. You know, and we say, well, that was Middle Ages. It doesn't matter to the Jew. It was done in the name of Christianity. So when we walk up and tell them that we're Christian evangelists or missionaries, there to convert them, all they think of is, wow, this guy is like all of the others that came and persecuted my people. And since he can't kill us today because the world has been more evolved than that, he wants to convert us to something other than Jews. What, what Hitler couldn't do by killing us, He'll do through assimilating us. You know, we, we need to get wise. We need to begin to think. Isaiah 49 says they're coming back on our shoulders. Ezekiel 36, look at verse... We're going to read just six verses out of that. I've got about seven more minutes. And with your permission, I'm going to use them. Ezekiel. Thank you, sister. In Ezekiel 36... Now, the whole chapter of 36 is one worth reading ten times, okay? Y'all need to read it. need to learn what's in it. I can't think of anything that more powerfully points out where we are than Ezekiel 36. But just for the sake of this message and keeping it flowing, we're only going to read a few verses that I didn't read the other day. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. How many countries? All every country that has a Jew in it, God will eventually gather them back and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Guys, I don't know how he's going to do that, but he is going to do it. Every Jew from every country is going to be sprinkled, cleaned, cleansed. The heart of stone is going to be replaced with a new heart. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, guys, when I say all, I realize that all may not always mean all in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible says everybody in Egypt died. And it, and it really didn't. It was the vast majority and that was the emphasis But I'm not going to work to make God lesser here. The Bible says all. That's the way I'm going to think about it. You will live in the land I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. You remember I read y'all that statistic 600 million Arabs in the world in the Arab countries not just surrounding Israel But in all Arab countries produce a total of 600 billion dollars in economy That's every 1 million people produces 1 billion in an economy if you take the oil out of it, which is roughly half 300 billion now we've got every 1 million uh, Arabs in the world producing only 500 million uh, in gross domestic product Where there are less than 6 million Jews in Israel that produce over a dollars that's more than 23 times Per capita the gross domestic product that Jews in the world produce than Arab Muslims Do you think God is showing them to be blessed? Do you think that their fruit trees and? their economy is producing things so that they're not disgraced among the nations because of famine? It's happening. God said it would happen. you know when it never happened before? 1948. Never. Amos 9 says something that you need to know for theology's sake. Since I've got five minutes, we'll just do it. If you hang a right from where you are, if you get to Jonah, you went too far. If you get to Obadiah, you went too far. And turn to Amos. And the Thompson chain, it's 1,024. Amos 9 says something. Earlier, I read a scripture, and your immediate inclination right in the beginning was to think that the diaspora and the uh, regathering was the Babylonian captivity. Uh, And there are some scriptures that when you read, especially because Ezekiel's writing in the time of the Babylonian captivity, you think, does this apply to then, or does it apply to the future? And so you wonder. And some people try to lump all of these promises that, that we've made into, oh, well, the Jews were exiled to the nations, and then before the time of Christ, in the time of Nehemiah, they were all brought back. And they try to make that fulfillment of these so that there's no reason to have to fulfill them now. Well, there wasn't a nation made in a single day and all of those things. But aside from that, Amos proves something to you. In Amos 9, verse 13, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land. Never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. When God brings back Israel this time and He's doing it, they can never be uprooted again. What does that also tell you about previous times smaller dysporas and in-gatherings have occurred? They weren't the one. Because they were happen subsequently again I guess that's redundant subsequently again but you understand what I mean this time when we see six Arab nations in 1967 attack Israel one from within Israel one from bordering Israel that's really seven Arab nations but in any case when all of these people attack Israel with one purpose I will drive them into the sea and they will no longer exist how do we know that cannot occur God said they'll never be uprooted again. Do you know that in 1967 we were in the midst of a Vietnam War? Some of the largest offenses, offensives didn't occur until 68, but in 67 we were in the midst of a war. Huge mobilization. And do you know that our governmental officials, when they got wind of what was fixing to happen, that Egypt and Jordan and everybody was going to attack Israel, Syria, Lebanon, we mobilized troops to go and help Israel. We didn't they didn't even get there. We mobilized them because we were sure that Israel would be wiped out in a day at the most two days Never survive a week. That's what all the best military minds in the world thought And God brought about a victory before we could even get there because when he said they would never be uprooted again He meant it, and they will not be there will be a stone that men hurt themselves when they try to move We're not going to read Zechariah 12, but you should read Zechariah 12 I hope you learned something about the ascending, the going up in this message I had planned to teach on the altar So what we're going to do is Wednesday I'm going to teach on Exodus 20 verses 25 through 26 That is an altar made with natural stones I had planned to do that today But when I saw the change in the, the uh, crowd here and all, I thought it best that we teach on this So I hope you were blessed Here's the thing We're going to pray for Israel. We're not going to become Jewish. We are grafted into their redemptive promises as Gentiles. Acts 15 and a myriad of other scriptures tells us what's required of us. When you're witnessing, when your life is being a witness to Jews, you know, it's probably not best if we flaunt uh, the lifeblood of animals and strangled animals and sexual immorality and all of those things in their face, which is the only thing that the Jewish apostles asked the church at Antioch not to do. Other than that, we're Gentiles. Does that make sense? Uh, We will, our emphasis Wednesday will not just be that altar. The emphasis Wednesday is going to be our uniqueness in the body. What I'm concerned about, and I got a phone call this morning about, is as you learn more about this, doesn't mean that we imitate it in every way. You don't go try to become Jews, we are Gentile Christians. But we need to be conscious of our Jewish roots. We need to know what our responsibility is. Do you remember when Paul said, if you share in somebody's spiritual blessing, don't they have a right to share in your material blessing? I always just took that to just simply be talking about when somebody preaches to you and they're blessing you spiritually, that you ought to share your material possessions with them. Which is, is very much true, and in context that is some of what he's talking about. Do you know what the rest of it is? He's telling Gentile churches, you're sharing in the Jewish blessing. You ought to share your material blessings with them. We said that's because there was a famine there. Well, it doesn't matter whether there's a famine there or not. The principle's still the same. Whether I have need or not, whether Life Changing Ministries has need or not, the obligation is still to support it. Same is true of Israel. Whether they have need or not, your obligation is to support it because we're Gentile Christians. They had a role and we have a role. And we're going to work together to get it done. Does that make sense? Hope you learned something. We're going to close here. That is one hour on the dot. And it's been a long time since I've done that. In the name of Jesus, y'all stand up. We'll pray. edited it out. Y'all, I was just saying, and I wanted to make sure this got back on the CD. When we're dealing with the Jewish population, you don't want to go say, Hey, man, let me help you make Aliyah. That's like telling... Uh, another minority group, you just need to go home. They don't always receive it. In fact, the biggest problem with causing these Scriptures to come about with seeing the Jews go home is they don't want to go home. Many don't want to. Why? Because they have thriving, prosperous lives where they're at. And so they see no need to go home. Do you know where the biggest population of Jews is in the world? Even outside... I mean, even including Israel, there's more Jews in the United States than anywhere else in the world. You know in the United States where there are more Jews than any other state, New York. So we ought not be surprised when we see things continually starting to happen that want to, that are focused at, they're bad things, not good things, we don't want them to happen, at driving people to fulfill biblical mandates. See, if things become tougher in affluent countries, if they become tougher in the countries of the world's that the Jews don't want to go to, they will seek the refuge of the Jewish state. It's not our job to make it tougher. It's our job to stand with them in the persecution. So what does that tell you has to happen in America? It's just a, just a thought. okay? And I wanted that thought to be on the CD.